1: for a seven-day free trial.
2: Today's cool fact of the day is that rain can be more than just water. Rain on Venus or on other planets or maybe even moons can be made of sulfuric acid or even methane. And scientists found a planet 5,000 light years away that has rain made out of iron, which is way cool if you ask me. I
1: don't know what Iron Man has to say about that, but it's gotta be cool. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use.
2: Today's guest is a guy I've wanted to interview for a long time ever since I, I read his book. And he is a distinguished professor of bioengineering at the University of Washington, where he conducts research on water science at the Pollock Laboratory. He's the executive director of the Institute for Venture Science and the founding editor-in-chief of the journal Water. He's also a founding fellow of the American Institute of Medical and Biological Engineering and a fellow of the American Heart Association and the Biomedical Engineering Association. In other words, he's a complete biohacking badass, although I don't think anyone's ever called him that, <laughs> and his name is Dr. Jerry Pollack. Uh, Jerry, welcome to the show. It's an honor to have you.
3: Oh, th- thanks, Dave. I'm really happy to be here, and uh, thanks for the introduction. Uh, uh, you're, you're so welcome. Uh,
2: your book that's probably most famous, at least in, in the circles where I hang, is called The Fourth Phase of Water, Beyond Solid, Liquid, and Vapor, and it's on Amazon.com, and mm. That's kind of what you're known for, because you're saying, well, why does water do the weird stuff it does that no one has ever explained? And you have that natural sense of curiosity combined with some pretty legitimate scientific uh, research background. But you've also looked at the other book that, that changed my view on, uh, on how to hack the human body, which was called Cells, Gels, and the Engines of Life from 2001. just played a pivotal role in me. Oh, look, I think I do have control of my own biology. And, and you've done some other work on muscles and molecules and all this. And, and I want to know, how did you get into this stuff? Like, like you've been doing this for, for longer than I have, like, by a, a long time. What what brought on this level of curiosity and interest in such small things?
3: Why do you think they're small?
2: <laughs> well, you can't see them, is why I think they're small. I think they're fun.
3: Oh, you mean the molecules. I, think, I thought you meant uh, the subjects. No, no, the, the subjects uh.
2: are, are actually fundamental to everything we are. I mean, how our bodies produce energy... Uh, how we turn that energy into motion or thought is fundamental. And almost all of what I do is around tweaking those things. And, and yeah. But how did you get into those things when when you started this research? So little was understood about this stuff. Uh,
3: what what made you go there? Um, I, I was studying muscles and how muscles contract. And uh, what struck me as really weird uh, one day uh, is is that when we think of muscles... At the molecular level, we consider the proteins and how the proteins interact to produce force. But you know, muscles contain not only proteins but also water. In fact, two thirds, two thirds of uh, by volume of our muscles and all other cells too, roughly two thirds are water. Um, it, it's actually it, it's 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 even more dominant than that if you consider the. The uh, fraction of molecules that are water molecules. You know, the water molecule is so small that in order to fill that two-thirds by volume, you need to put in a a, a lot of water molecules. And if you do the molecular count, it, it turns out it turns out that uh, 99 more than 99 out of every hundred molecules are water molecules. And it struck me as odd that you could discount. 99 out of 100 molecules when trying to figure out how muscles work. There's a theory uh, that uh, prevails now about muscle contraction and how it works, and it dates back about 60 years or more. Uh, It was developed by a a famous Nobel laureate, a member of the Huxley, famous Huxley family, Sir Andrew Huxley, and almost everybody follows it. Uh, But I found some difficulty with with, uh, that theory, namely that The evidence didn't fit and and so yeah oops is right oops Uh, practically every experiment that we did in the laboratory failed to fit the the theory and and so we began thinking along other lines and i began to realize that critical to the uh, entire subject of contraction was the water the 99 out of 100 uh, molecules did play some role so then we started to figure out uh, it, not so much the particular role of water but but of water itself because because water, as you said is a is a complicated subject or it seemed complicated because there are so many anomalies uh, that um, in other words, properties of water that we can't predict from any theory and so I began to scratch my head and I had a few interesting contacts who. Uh, I wouldn't say guided me uh, along the way, but provided some clues that were really instrumental. And then we turned to water. We stopped dealing with muscle contraction, and we began to figure out the properties of water, and we found some real surprises. And, and those surprises are, are, are found in, especially in the fourth phase yeah. of Water Book, but also some in, in the Sales, Jails, and the Engines of Life Book. And I'm flattered that you read oh. them.
2: Well, so, cells and gels is one of the reasons that I, uh, I'm, I've i become a huge fan of collagen protein. Because if you want to make a gel, you've yeah. got to have collagen. And I, I put collagen protein in, in my coffee. And I think having properly formed collagen is probably really important. And it was your book that made me pay attention yeah. to that. And that you know, so <laughs> the, the, taking the right amino acids to form collagen or eating bone broth or any of the ways we get it properly, yeah. even though I probably had no collagen in my diet for a very long period of time because I didn't know that that would be important. So, so th- thanks for that first part there, but the new book blew me away, because l- l- let me just ask you a few questions. I, I know you know the answers, but just yeah. because I think our listeners don't. Is water actually liquid? What's your take now
3: that you've studied it? <laughs> well, uh, yes and no. Uh, so w- water is obviously a liquid, yeah. because you have a glass of water and it behaves like a liquid, but there's another phase of water that we discovered, and that's really uh, in between a liquid and a solid. So most of us have learned that water has three phases. We, we know there's the solid phase, or ice, there's the liquid phase, the one that we put in the glass, and the vapor phase. Um, and um, so that's what we learned, but what we found out is that yet there's a, a fourth phase that's distinct from all of us. And so it's not, it's not a liquid and it's not a solid, but somewhere in between those two. And if you have a little bit of it in your glass of water, which you probably probably do, you won't really detect the difference, but if you have a lot of it in certain experimental setups, then you can actually measure and find out that this is a highly viscous, it's kind of like honey. Uh, it's in between, honey is not exactly a liquid, but not exactly a solid. And this is the consistency of this fourth phase wow. of water. Well, yeah, uh, it, it has a... It has a lot of implications yeah. because yeah, there's a lot of it around, and it it it's not a complete surprise because uh, there was a physical chemist uh, more than a hundred years ago. His um, name was Hardy, and he predicted this. He was he was a colloid chemist, and he said, you know, something even a hundred years ago, something doesn't make sense because there are properties of water that are basically not not understood and if you try to understand them in terms of the three common phases you fail and he predicted that there's a fourth phase of water and a number of people actually picked that up uh over, over the years um and the fourth phase was kind of a, called structured water yeah. structured yeah mean, meaning meaning the molecules are not randomly disposed but they're actually lined up in some way and um there were actually quite a few such people. The most prominent being Gilbert Ling. Yes, I've spoken to him. Gilbert too. Ling. He's now, yeah, he's now I think 97 years old and still active. Uh, and then there was also Albert St. Georgi, And St. georgie was, you might call him the, the um, Nobelist among Nobelists because <laughs> he was uh, respected and revered. He got his Nobel Prize for discovering vitamin C. And then he worked on muscles, and he worked on water. And he's famous for for a few quotes, one of them is that life is water dancing to the tune of solids. So he knew that the water was intimately involved in everything that the cell does. And what happened is that um, people uh, in in the early part of the last century, up to the middle part, were deeply interested in water. They got, you might say, deeply immersed in, uh, in, in the subject. And um, and then there were two debacles that uh, set the science of water backward. There were two incidents that happened. One of them was called the Polywater incident, and the other was called the Water Memory incident. And um, I can tell you about these yeah. because uh, uh, they're, they're they're kind of interesting. Uh, what, what the the summary of the, of the story is that is that the people who were studying these two phenomena were roundly criticized by uh, by scientists and 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 so it became water the study of water became a kind of scientific joke yeah. and people then became reluctant to pursue it so so the first one uh, the so-called poly water incident took place and it came from the laboratory of a guy named Boris Daryagin. Daryagin was a Russian he was the most prominent Physical chemist in all of Russia, someone came to his lab and 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 showed him something that he that got him really excited and then he pursued it. Uh, what happened was that if you evaporate water so the water is is pure and then condense it again uh, and condense it into small capillary tubes, little uh, glass tubes or quartz tubes um, the water took on very strange characteristics uh, the the uh, it was really difficult to freeze it. You couldn't boil it until you reached very high temperature. It was denser than ordinary water. And the people who, who uh, the physical chemists who measured the spectroscopic properties, that is the absorption properties, different wavelengths, found it was really strange. It didn't behave at all as though it were regular water. So this was the time of the Cold War uh, the, uh, and 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 the russians and 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 the west didn't communicate a whole lot so the papers were written in the russian language and when they started to be translated in, into english the uh, people the scientists in the west became really excited about this and at first they took up the result and uh, they they really had two choices you know because because of the uh, political yeah. background the one one choice was uh, To dismiss it as nonsense because after all, you know, the Russians are enemies and how could they do anything meaningful in science? And the other one was to try to pursue it and find something that, uh, use the Russian findings as leverage to find something even even more important or exciting. It looked as though there was a different phase of water just as what what we're talking about. Um, So it was pursued really actively and there was a, a, a lead article in the journal Science, which is one of the the couple of really major journals, and the title was "Polywater." Why polywater? Because the water behaved like a polymer. Instead of a collection of individual molecules, it behaved as though the molecules were somehow linked to to one another. And because of this linkage, the behavior changed markedly. Um, so, uh, one one group, I believe it was an American group, just a couple of months later found out or did some experiments, they found that it really wasn't pure water after all. They found that if you put water in these capillary tubes, um, it actually, the material, the silica from the capillary tubes, actually dissolves in Uh the water. Not much of it, a trace of it, but still the Russians had argued that this was pure water and uh, this group found that it was not pure at all. Actually, it was contaminated by silica. And so they said it was a silica gel and therefore no big deal about these interesting properties. And then what made matters worse is there was another group, I believe this was an Australian group, and they put salt in the water. And when they put the salt in the water and measured the absorption spectra, the same as, as the Russians had done, they got practically identical results. And so they said, well, you know, the Russians must have been sweating into their <laughs> water when they did their experiments and uh, it was really uh really embarrassing for uh for, for the soviets and uh, a couple of years later deryagin himself uh, drove the nails into his own coffin if you will by publishing a paper saying that all of his critics were right they screwed up they made a mistake forget poly water forget everything that we found so that seemed to be the end of the story, and um, and and the end of the story is that, well, if if the greatest scientists or physical chemists in all of Russia could screw up so badly, then uh, mere mortal scientists had better stay away from water, because they're going to screw up even worse than that, or there's that, that potential. Um, <clears throat> and it seems that that's the end of the story, but it's not the end of the story. I've heard now from three different people who were close to Deryagin that Despite the fact that he wrote that paper, he was actually forced to write that paper because, uh, you know, it's an embarrassment to the Soviet uh, government, and it's it's easier to place the onus on that particular scientist than on Soviet science. So he basically took full responsibility, and I suppose his alternative was who knows what. Maybe Siberia or something like this. So they professed that until the day he died, he was absolutely sure that he was right. Wow. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting story. It could make a good movie. We, we have a better way
2: in the U.S. We we simply make it impossible for re, for researchers to work if they say something that's not popular. So, it's, oh, it's I know I know well about that phenomenon.
3: though <laughs> no, it's not that different. But uh, I think the consequences are maybe more di- were well, uh, more dire a, a g- a for, gulag for, for him
2: versus change of career. Yeah, you got to point
3: that. Uh, maybe a gulag. I I'm not yeah. sure, but but certainly he would not not have been the famous scientist that he, he and respected that, that he remains today. But, you know, uh, as I said, m- mere mortal scientists were encouraged to stay away from the subject of water. Uh, so then, you know, uh, water began, or the, the science of water began its recovery. Um, and then a second debacle took place. This one was in France. And, you know, the French are equally proud of their of their science. They... Have um, uh, biological scientists, math- mathematicians, and many, many distinguished French scientists. And then along came this guy, Jacques Benveniste, who was a famous immunologist, a really high level guy with a lab of 50, 50 people. And he was doing some uh, experiments on on cells, uh, white blood cells called basophils. And he would he would pour some perhaps you know the story he would pour some antibodies on the cells and when the when the cells received the antibodies they got activated and they secreted something I believe it was histamine and they were they were studying this as part of their immunological research and some guy came along he said, "You know, I can dilute those antibodies again and again and again and again, just as the homeopaths do, and I could dilute it." So many times that essentially there, there are no molecules of a, no antibodies left, just water, uh, essentially water that had been in contact with the antibodies, and I can pour that on the cells and get the same response. He said, "Impossible," but you know, being an intellectual, and open-minded guy, he said, "Okay, you know, uh, it's, you, there's a corner of the laboratory there. nobody's working. You can show us what you're doing, and you know, we'll see what what, what goes on." Uh, <laughs> I, the, the, reason, the reason I'm laughing, sorry to interrupt you there, it, is that, that
2: I think 80% of people out there go, that's impossible, therefore it can't happen, therefore we're not going to test it. Right? And they just ignore a, a potentially really you know, interesting you, thing. It, so I, I love it, okay? In this experiment, uh, you had a real scientist who said, well, if, if it's real, prove it, okay? And, and what happened next? I got to know.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, what happened next is that pretty soon everybody in the lab was hovering over this guy to see his results because apparently it worked, um, he could do those dilutions. You know, he did it exactly the same as the homeopaths do it. You dilute, say, one to ten, uh, and then you shake it. They call it succussion. And then they dilute again, and they shake it, and so on, and yeah. go down the line. And so so he produced it. And Jacques, who I, I, I knew personally, he died about ten years ago, um, was, of course, so curious about this and, and found... That this experiment was so interesting he had no interest whatsoever in homeopathy uh, you know but he was really interested in what these dilutions could do and 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 the response so uh, uh, he decided to publish a paper on this so he sends the manuscript to Nature Sir John Maddox the (laughs) editor of, of Nature received it and he said no way he said if you're right everybody else is wrong and I refuse to believe that everybody else is wrong. Sorry, we won't publish your paper. So Jacques, being a, a determined uh, uh, scientist and, and believing in his results, though he didn't really understand uh, the mechanism, and when I chatted with him, he said, you know, I'm just an immunologist, I'm not a physicist yeah. or a physical chemist, so I don't understand the mechanism. And, and I, you know, he was honest enough to say that, but as you said, there was something going on there and something that needed explanation. So he thought, okay, nature rejects it. I'm going to ask my colleagues in different countries to repeat our experiments exactly as we did. And if they get the same result, we'll publish together. They got the same result. They submitted the manuscript to nature. The response was the same. And uh, By the way, this, is the, the, this story is written in, in several books. Uh, the, the books with, you might say, different tilts, um, some tilt in favor of the scientists doing the experiments and one or two in favor of Nature, uh, of the editor of Nature, who they they believe had some, some good points. And pretty soon what happened is that the homeopaths uh, realized this famous scientist, famous uh, uh, scientist, was basically able to, to figure out, to, to demonstrate that what what they do clinically actually has some kind of physical basis and pretty soon Nature, whose headquarters are across the channel in London uh, heard about this it was published in the newspapers and such their their protests um, had to do something had to respond in some way and uh, Jacques when I was visiting his lab he said oh yeah Maddox he telephoned me on that telephone right there <laughs> and he said I'll make a deal with you <laughs> so what was the deal <laughs> The the deal was we'll publish your manuscript next week, next edition, uh, if you allow uh, a group of peers to come to Paris and watch you do the experiment, look over your shoulders, and then we'll report back to our readers in nature. So Jacques thought, well, you know, this makes total sense. Uh, We we can get our paper published, and we'll demonstrate to them that, that this is real. So they published the paper with a disclaimer saying, you know we're not really sure yeah. about this, uh, but in fairness, quote unquote, in in fairness, we're we're publishing uh, this paper. So the next step was that uh, Maddox g- got together his committee of peers to go and visit, and the committee consisted of three people. One was Maddox, who was himself, who was uh, trained as a physicist. He he never quite made it to his PhD. He became a journalist and worked his way up to being the editor of nature a rather distinguished position and uh, for the other two peers um, one of them was the amazing Randy uh, a magician (laughs) uh, perhaps perhaps thought of by many as the world's greatest magician with wonderful capability of figuring out the tricks of other magicians Uh, and the third one was a guy named Walter Stewart from NIH. uh, who who is uh, in? You might say the fraud department. Right. It, it's called the D- the D- division or department of scientific integrity. Uh, and and what this division is does is to investigate uh, claims that uh, appear to be um, outrageous. And uh, and 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 they go and they they look and hear the evidence from both sides, and they come to a conclusion as to whether the scientist's findings are real or actually fraudulent. So this was the committee, this was not exactly a committee of peers, this was a biological experiment. Uh, it was a, you might say, a commando committee uh, uh, designed to figure out what the trick was because they were sure that it was a trick. So they came to Paris, they came to the laboratory, and uh, on the first day the technician who does the experiments regularly did the experiments and the results turned out exactly as they had published. The second day, the technician did the experiments again, and each of the tubes or the vials was coded by the committee. Only they knew could decode it, and when they decoded, they actually uh, found that the result was again, just as they had predicted. And the third day, um, the dilutions were done by Walter Stewart, the, the NIH fellow, and the result didn't turn out that way. And I should say that in their paper they mentioned that the result didn't doesn't always turn out the way they, they, they suggested that but statistically it was overwhelming the, the percentage of times that they get the result that they claimed that there was no question but they didn't know exactly why sometimes it sometimes it didn't work anyway it didn't work and and so the um, the committee of peers huddled and they decided that, well, you know, when the French do the dilutions, uh, it works. And when the visiting committee does the dilutions, it doesn't work, and therefore it must be a fraud. They couldn't figure out what the fraud was. Kind of like but, the French paradox, right? Yeah, well, okay, yeah. So, so they, they um, And this was the end of Benveniste's career, because oh, sure. the headlines in Nature was that this, were, this is a delusion, a, a trick, of, uh, of some sort and of course everybody wanted yeah. to believe it was a trick because because it's unimaginable that water has the capacity to store information and the implication of this was that it did because this water had been exposed to the original antibody molecules and it must somehow have acquired information from those molecules otherwise the experiment wouldn't have worked and, and Jacques told me that it was a real mistake to call it water memory because for most people, it's inconceivable that water can remember something. Um, it turns out that, uh, well, I, I should say that uh, a, a couple of things about about Jacques Benveniste, a, a heroic guy, and his, re- his experiments have been repeated. They were first repeated by people who said they couldn't get the same result, and that was published in Nature, happily, and... Um, for the nature people, because they wanted to be vindicated, but the response from uh, from Jacques Benveniste and crew is that you know if you really sincerely want to repeat some of these experiment, and you can't get the same result, the first thing you do is call them and say what am I doing wrong? Yeah. If you're sincere about it, um, and and so he argued that these people were they didn't follow the same protocol, and therefore it, it's unlikely that they would have gotten the same result. However. I found out afterward that uh, this was maybe uh, five years afterward, I, I met a guy at, at a review in, in Japan, and this is a high-level French scientist who was an advisor either to the prime minister or the president or something, and he said he was on the committee that made sure that Benveniste never got a grant again, despite the fact that his work was confirmed and he gave me the papers that confirmed his, his result now it's been confirmed many times since then but he said he said that the reason that they discontinued his funds is not that they didn't believe his work but it was an embarrassment for French scientists for French science it's it's quite analogous to the Russian yeah. debacle that took place and so so French science was vindicated um, and and uh, Jacques Benveniste was was guilty and and he, he became a scientific joke you know you having having trouble remembering uh, drink some water and you know water memory oh. memory will res- restore and and uh, and when i began my work um, i was discouraged from beginning this work because first you have uh, boris deryagen and then you have jacques benveniste and these two debacles so many people have been really fearful many scientists of uh, immersing themselves in water so it's a long story and it's an interesting story and that's why water is not a discipline uh, you know we, we have disciplines of nanotechnology and genomics and such and you would think that water would be important but there's almost no field we, we, we try to nucleate one we have annual meetings that I organize um, it's called the, the uh, uh, annual conference on the physics, chemistry and biology of water. And it attracts really interesting people who are doing groundbreaking experiments. A very exciting meeting to, to, to attend. It's, it's during the past three years or so, we hold it in Bulgaria, which may sound like a strange place, but Bulgaria has healing waters. And maybe, I think, it's something like 40% of all those in Europe are in Bulgaria. Wow! So it's, a, it's an appropriate place for a water conference. So, so
2: I, I have a, a random question related to that. Please. I drink San Pellegrino, even though it's owned by a big mean water company, Nestle. But San Pellegrino, St. Pellegrino Healing Waters, I, I think it's better. Also, I like that it's bottled in glass. Is there something special about, I don't want to call it that one brand, but about drinking bottled mineral water, things like that? Or am I
3: just deceiving myself, but at least it's BPA free? The answer is yes. <laughs> Both? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I can't profess that you're deceiving yourself. I, I, I think, um, well, let me say that I've seen evidence that some waters have healing uh, capacity. And I, I'll just tell you about w- w- one example. On the other hand, you know, you buy, there's so many waters oh, yeah. that you can buy, e- either, either in the supermarket or online. Uh, there, there must be dozens of them online. And they all profess to have healing uh, powers. There's one that I came across, um, I got a phone call four years ago from a guy, and um, he told me that he worked in a famous laboratory. The laboratory shut down, and he took the apparatus they had, and he created water for his own family, drinking uh, drinking water. And and uh, they, he told me they haven't had the flu or anything for two years since they started drinking that. And so, you know, my reaction was, okay, big deal, you know. Uh, there may be many reasons why mm-hmm. your family hasn't had, had the flu for a couple of years. But then he told me um, that the neighbor, next-door neighbor, who knew about this water that they were drinking, the neighbor knew of a friend who was on dialysis, irreversible kidney pathology. And, um, and she wanted to drink the water. So he managed to give her the water. And he told me, he said, um, that after 30 days of drinking the water, uh, she went from irreversible pathology to no pathology. Oops. <laughs> My reaction was, I don't believe you. <laughs> Actually, I did believe him, but I, uh, so he sent me the hospital records, uh, which confirmed that that was the case. So I invited him to our conference uh, to pre- present his his work because obviously, you know, if you have if you have water that can reverse irreversible kidney pathology, that's that's quite amazing. And by that time. He had more evidence, and one of the people at the conference uh, went to visit him, and with the prospect, perhaps, of of providing this on a larger scale for for humanity, he called me. He told me that the business arrangement didn't work out. However, he interviewed. He saw the hospital records, and he interviewed every patient who this guy had claimed um, the pathology was reversed. He said it's true. So I I, I became really impressed, and he, he actually is is selling this water I, I right right now and so this is this is one case where it it appears that there's real evidence you might call it anecdotal evidence because there have been no clinical trials but
2: it looks promising so, so just, to, just to to point that out for for the kind of the skeptic crowd anecdotal evidence is still evidence right it's it's just uh, yeah, not as strong as the uniform, right
3: yeah uh, yeah it's <laughs> right it's uh, it, it's it, statistically speaking uh you know the the point is there there may be there may be other people who drink the water yeah. and uh, with with no results so uh and I guess a proper way would be to to uh, do an extensive series of tests and and a, a blind or a double blind test and see see what works and what doesn't work actually we propose that uh, because there are so many waters and I think some of them look promising um and and uh, needs to be done uh, by an independent agent, someone who understands about water. To do that requires, you know, four or five million dollars, to do it properly to test patients, to test animals with tumors or animals with with irreversible organ disease like uh, liver pathology or kidney pathology. Otherwise, difficult to tell because, uh, you know, you go on the internet and and you find these waters and and they very sincere sounding claim that that water can really help reverse pathology. You just don't know uh, to trust it or not
2: trust it. There's, and uh, there's a know. really rough thing here because I, I run a company and when there are rules right now where the government says, look, you may not make a medical claim about something that's not a drug. So if you have a water that, that makes people young again, that actually works, and it works even in a bunch of trials, if you make that claim, they'll step in and shut your company down and say, look, you're making a <laughs> claim about a water's not a drug, therefore it can't do this, which is anti-science on its face, but it's true for every food item out there. So these, these poor, like, I, I've met a few that probably, maybe even some of the same people, where they're working on these amazing water machines and you drink the water and you're like, I can feel there's something in here and I'm pretty sure this isn't placebo. Uh, Just like, you know, if you got caffeinated or decaf coffee, it's pretty hard for that placebo effect because like there's something happened from the caffeine. Yeah. So you drink it like, okay, like I don't know if I can finish this because I'm kind of buzzing. But then if they go out there and they start saying this stuff works, then as soon as they hit a level of commercial success, they'll get shut down. It happens over and over to my great frustration. And I, I don't, I, I, I don't really know how to get around that because what we need is a little bit of freedom of speech for businesses to say, we don't know, but we're pretty sure, and here's our evidence, and you can decide for yourself because it's unlikely to cause harm. But until we get that right in this country, which we don't have right now,
3: do you think that, that any of these water companies have a chance of sort of seeing the light of day? Well, they have seen the light of day, and some of them are more successful than others, but as you say, you know they can't claim what uh, so. might actually be the case. There's one that's different um, Perhaps you know about the Kangen yeah. water. What, what do you think in, of it? I so, uh, I have no comment. Okay. I, I don't know. We sometimes we we, we drink it, uh, but I, I gotta tell you that in Japan they did do clinical trials of that. And as a result of the clinical trials, there's you know a whole bunch of evidence. As a result of the clinical trials, if you have any kind of gastrointestinal problem in Japan, from your mouth down all the way to your anus, they put you on this water and the government pays for it. Governments don't pay for something yeah. that you know that it it that doesn't have efficacy, so they've done enough enough trials on that. Uh, but I mean, still there there are some people who claim there are some long-term effects that maybe uh, are uh, negative. I, I'm not sure about that, but I just want to point yeah. out that in Japan the clinical trials worked, and and people are put on that water. It's actually very simple. You just put the water through a. Two electrodes in the machine. One's negative, one's positive, and you drink the one that goes uh, passes through the negative electrode, which has a high pH, and the stuff that comes out through the positive electrode has low pH. And if you try to drink it, you spit it out immediately. It tastes like something like highly chlorinated yeah. uh, water. It kills bacteria, but it's it's certainly not good for you. I think the the you know our our, our research shows that the the negative charge is 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 really important for uh, for health, and um, is a, di- a different issue, but um, it's not something that that is a, a kind of a, a mainstream kind of uh, a, a idea, but but it goes back to the water, the kind of water that we this fourth phase that we discovered, which is negatively charged. That's one of the features of this water, and it's the kind of water that fills your cells. So
2: does a Kangen machine make?
3: Water like the the fourth phase of water um not sure okay. we we tried uh testing the uh, that kind of water and using the test that we we usually employ didn't show it however, in the laboratory when we did experiments um, putting the negative electrode in the water, we actually did find this kind of uh, fourth phase water that we discovered so The answer is, I'm not sure uh, if it does or doesn't. But for sure, it has negative charge. Um, uh, and And, um, yeah, and and so, you know, your cells, this kind of water that we're talking about, the fourth phase water, forms next to hydrophilic, water-loving surfaces, and the cell is just filled with water-loving surfaces. All the proteins and other macromolecules are charged on the surface. And so the water that sits next to those surfaces should be easy water, or we call it easy exclusion zone, fourth phase. It's just different terminology for the same thing. So this stuff is is uh, your cells are replete with this kind of water. It's not ordinary H two O that's in your cells, and and you know physiologists know that cells have net negative charge. And it's been there have been some some uh, hypotheses as to uh, for fifty or sixty years as to why the cell has a negative charge, but since we've we found that the water that populates the cell has the negative charge, we kind of understand that one possible reason for the cell's negative charge is because it has this kind of negatively charged water. You know, you have a sack with some negatively charged stuff in, and then it's going to the sac is going to have a net negative charge and we've measured that and so um, if your cells don't have enough of this water then your cells are going to be less negatively charged and if your cells have a full complement of this stuff they're going to have more uh, negative charge so we we've come to a, kind of a hypothesis that the more negative charge that you have in your body, the healthier you're going to be. Now, that's different than the pH of your cells, though, right? Because, of- well, yes, and yes, and yes, <laughs> okay. and no. So, um, you know, we think of pH. We think of pH as a concentration of uh, hydrogen ions or OH uh, minus. But some of the experiments that we've been doing I- indicate that when you have low pH, that is a lot of protons. You have net negative, net positive charge, and when you have more OH minus groups, you have excess negative charge. So it's not that um, it's not that, that that every solution is neutral. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, uh, and uh, it's possible. We're studying this right now. It's possible that, as a rule, when when you have something that's acidic, that is a, 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 a an abundance of, of protons that you actually have that this this solution that you hold in in the beaker actually has net positive charge it's not neutral Um, chemists like to invoke the principle of electroneutrality everything should be neutral but we know everything is not neutral because um, you you can actually measure you can take two beakers uh, with one substance and another substance and you can actually measure potential difference between this, and you can get current flow from one to the other, and so it it, it seems possible, if not likely, that that you know that liquids can sustain charge, and we do. We made measurements of people, uh, and so you are negatively charged. Uh, I'm negatively charged too, but I think you're more negatively charged because you're healthier than I am, <laughs> or at least you don't have as much gray hair. so, uh, And that's why, you know, um, th- there's this uh, idea about earthing yourself, or grounding yeah. yourself. You take a walk on the beach, take off your shoes, and you feel good after 10 or 20 minutes or so of, of doing that. And the people who have studied this un- understand that what you're doing is you're actually soaking up negative charge from the earth. The earth has a net negative charge. This is another fact. Mm-hmm. That is not widely known, but among the russians and 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 in other countries fifty or sixty years ago, it was common knowledge but we 've forgotten that, and so when you connect yourself to the earth, you sop up this negative charge and you feel better uh, you feel healthier so the research has has shown that so uh, I, I just want to make that point that that um, if you, anything you can do, practically anything you can do to gain negative charge should, in theory, be good for your health. Uh, antioxidants are, are uh, one of those because, because um, you know, um, uh, oxidation is, is a loss of negativity and so anti-oxidation uh, means you don't lose that, that negativity and that negativity is really important. The body actually tries its best to get rid of positive charge, if you think about it, you know, every time you go to the toilet and pee, the pH of that is low, it's, uh, and, and so you're, you're getting rid of protons, getting rid of positive charge. Every time you exhale, you're getting rid of CO2 and water, which is carbonic acid, acid, getting rid of positive charge. When you sweat... Uh, it's similar. You uh, you you uh, sweat. The sweat actually has low pH, and a colleague of mine uh, was actually m- measuring his 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 body's charge and took a dump, and found out <laughs> <laughs> afterward that he got more negative. And so uh, apparently you're losing positive charge that way too. This needs to be studied, of course, in in greater depth. But it's a kind of principle that comes out. I've definitely been sleeping with uh, one type of earthing
2: or another for eight years now, I, I think, nine years, and, and talking about it really? as one of the, the hacks that you can do. But I used to weigh 300 pounds. I had chronic health problems as a child, arthritis at 14, and, and all, all sorts of stuff that shouldn't have wow. been, including wow. basically mitochondrial poisoning, as far as I can tell, from living in a water-damaged building where you get airborne mycotoxins that inhibit mitochondrial respiration. And I've since recovered pretty darn dramatically from all that kind of stuff. It seems so. <laughs> and one of the things that helped the most was ozone therapy, which hmm. uh, you actually use ozone gas, small doses of it rectally, which has lots and lots of free electrons in it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: uh, it, yeah, you figured out another way to do that. Yeah, and they,
2: they actually do it intravenously as well. And, and I've also done a lot of electrical current stuff uh, over my body that, that seems to have played a major role, as well as... I. I had an alkaline water machine starting in 96. I bought one uh, before Kangen oh. came out, I think. Um, but it, it actually just caused diarrhea because it turns off stomach acid where you kind of need acid. So I, it turns out for me, I'm already too alkaline. So I had a weird situation yeah. where I was actually not making energy well in the cells, yet I was mm-hmm. almost on hyper alkaline. Which, which yep. didn't make sense, but it was because something was inhibiting respiration. So you, you go through all that. A lot of people, okay, we call that chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, Lyme disease, all, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. What does what your discovery have to say about like those situations, those people who are running around, running at half strength? Like, Do they need more easy water? Do they need more grounding? Like, 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 I mean, you're studying bioengineering, some of the most interesting stuff I can think of. If if everything sucked in your life because you just never had enough energy and nothing seemed to be working right, what would you do with water in order to turn things back on?
3: Well, okay, uh, there there are a couple couple of things. Um, um, besides um, drinking the right water, which is not n- not so clear which one right. is, is is the right water, light is is um, also one really uh powerful agent, yes. and so why is light a powerful agent well so this water that we're talking about, this fourth phase water is built by light if you start with water um and you want to create you start with ordinary water and you want to create this fourth phase of water light is the agent is the is the energy that that does it and especially infrared yes. light so um infrared light is all over you can't get rid of it is if, if if you turn off all the lights in the room uh, and, and shut the shades and whip out your infrared camera you can get a beautiful image it's sort of like these you know night night cameras yeah. everything generates infrared at night uh, no visible light but lots of infrared so you can get an image so it's all over and it's actually literally free energy it's not the kind of free energy that we learn about in our chemistry class, but it's literally free for the taking. It's there, which means that this water, this uh, fourth phase water, is also there. However, um, you know, if you're sick, uh, there's a a fairly good chance that you're deficient in this easy water. There are are various scientific reasons that we we reach this uh, conclusion that maybe are beyond... Uh, go going in into here, but I can just say that, you know, your, your cells, it's the proteins in your cells that act. They fold yeah. in certain ways and, and that makes the cell work. And the usual environment for folding is that each protein is surrounded by fourth phase water. And if you don't have enough of it, then your proteins are not surrounded by their usual milieu and they can't do what they ordinarily do. And so your cell is sick. It's not actually functioning. So one, one possibility is that you want to build up this easy water in uh, in your cells. And the way to do it is to, um, one way to do it is to expose yourself to infrared light. A way, I, I just came from Russia, I was there a few days ago, and the way they do it is, uh, we call it sauna, and they call it banya. It's the same sort of thing, you know, they, you, you go into a, a room and, uh, it's either with water or without water humid or not humid with infrared it's at a very high temperature, and so you soak up this infrared and when you come out twenty or thirty minutes later, you feel like a million dollars or rubles if you like <laughs> <laughs> and and so why is that well, well, the thought or one thought is that this is purely psychological, and maybe some of it is, but you know our experiments show that if you had infrared light um infrared energy, you build easy yeah. fourth-phase water. And uh, and the same thing happens inside your body. Your body soaks up this infrared energy because water in your body likes to absorb that kind of energy. And from our experiments, we know that that builds easy water. So one possibility, a hypothesis, is, is that by sitting in, in the sauna or the uh, banya, the reason you feel good is that your cells, particularly the cells that had been deficient in easy water, to begin with the water builds up and you have then a full complement of easy water and so if your muscles were aching a reason why they might have been aching is that they're basically dehydrated they don't for whatever reason don't have enough of this water they get rehydrated with it so so therefore and it could be uh, your the same thing happens in your brain you're feeling depressed your cells are not your brain cells, your neurons, are not functioning optimally. You want to get them to function the way they should function. So you add the infrared, it builds up the water, and then your cells begin functioning normally. So it's a kind of general effect um, that sorry. this
2: infrared... It, it, yeah. Sorry to Is a campfire good enough? I mean, is a radiant heater good
3: enough? Well, that needs to be studied. I, uh, people are using different wavelengths of, of, of light... Sitting in front of a campfire, usually you feel good. Exactly. The same same kind of, right. I hadn't thought about that, but uh, perhaps it is good. I I know that in Asia and some countries like in Korea, they have uh, different stones, different crystals that they heat depending on what your your issue is and what your, your problem is and this needs to be studied as well but it seems to be quite effective so you know if you have a stomach problem you you subject yourself to one set of wavelengths of infrared and if you if you have a liver problem perhaps uh, an, another set of w- wavelengths so i just want to say that it's not it's not just the sauna or the uh, banya it's it's actually Uh, light therapy is is used for you know for many issues uh, from uh, depression to uh, skin disease and and more and more light therapy is is becoming routine and it's expanding rapidly
2: I've had uh, different colored lasers for doing light therapy low-level laser therapy became low-level light therapy Um, going back about 15 years with, with profound results Uh, on on my own, like muscle relaxation and speed of healing and things that are almost unexplainable. I think we're discovering it now. Uh, And your book, I think, explains some of the reasons why that might work, because I can't tell you all the reasons it works. There's some things about nitric oxide that are interesting depending on if it's a red light or whatever else. But I I can tell you, you put an infrared LED or a red LED or or some, some cases blue but not usually, you put those on and something very tangible happens. And, yeah. and as a scientist minded person you're like, okay. Uh I don't know why but I I know if I do A then B usually happens. I'm going to take advantage yeah. of the effect while I discover <laughs> while I discover why. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
3: Absolutely. Sure. You you need to. I I I just was exposed recently to uh, another kind of therapy is actually using ultraviolet light. Oh neat. Um yeah, so this is this is done uh, i it, in, a, a local, yeah actually intravenous I that too. you stick a uh, oh you've done yeah, it absolutely. yeah Oh, you yeah how did you feel it, it
2: makes you feel amazing and that, yeah. uh-huh. so why do you think that might work i, I know there's a vitamin d effect that's uh, that's that's little known but but what did you experience i'm, I'm really interested
3: um well, I, haven't, I haven't had it done myself i just saw the machine oh, okay. that, that used to to demonstrate it but but i think it works because um well it, this is a bit of a, a longer story but but I, I think that if you if if you look at the blood flow that occurs in very small capillaries I think it's different from what what we we presume and I, I found this out actually in, in Russia I started my career studying the uh, uh, the dynamics of the cardiovascular system you know the heart developing pressure and and pumping into the arteries and arterioles and such, and I thought for sure that we had all the answers and um, that I could explain practically anything. People who develop models almost uniformly think that, and I guess I <laughs> I was one of those. And when I was in Russia, I, I go there fairly uh, frequently, I admire the Russian research. They, they, These are people who really think. I was at Moscow University and uh, some uh, friends of uh, my friend uh, sat down with me, and they told me there's a real problem, uh, and the problem is, is, is that, you know, you have capillaries, and for young adults, healthy adults, the capillaries are three or four micrometers in diameter, but the red blood cells that need to pass through are almost twice the <laughs> diameter, so it looks like Mother Nature screwed up, and there's a plumbing problem here, it's sort of like, you know, you go to the toilet, and and the stuff that needs to go through, can't right. go through, and you need the plunger to, yeah, it's you know what I'm, <laughs> okay. what I'm uh, talking about. So it's kind of similar because the question is that they raise is, well, I mean, how do you get those red blood cells to pass through something that's narrower? And if you look at videos show, showing this, you can see that the red blood cells actually, they kind of scrunch down in order to get through, but that scrunching requires energy, you see? And what they pointed out is that if the heart were really responsible for driving those red blood cells through those tiny capillaries, the amount of pressure that they would need to develop is something like one million times the pressure that the heart actually develops. So so something else is going on. There needs to be some kind of assist to this. And I think the assist comes from light. And -hmm. the reason I think so is is that we can put a, a, a tube in water and um, like a straw, just put it in the water, lay it down horizontally, and flow goes through that tube automatically and endlessly. It just keeps flowing. And we discovered that about three years ago, and we have a, a few papers yeah, on it. It sounds like a perpetual also,
2: motion machine. I mean, someone should take away your yeah, license it, sounds to like think, it, right? I mean, you, you can't talk yeah, about these it,
3: things. <laughs> <laughs> that, Tell me well, more. I'm so interested. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. It sounds like a perpetual motion machine. And of course, it, it does. Usually, what you need is pressure to right. drive fluid through a pipe, and if you have no energy, then, you know, but we know about the energy because water absorbs energy from the environment, yes. the infrared energy, for example, any kind of light energy, uh, some wavelengths are absorbed more than others, so the water is receiving energy all the time and transducing that energy, converting it into other kind of energy, and so we pinpointed the energy is coming, coming from light, and you can look at the flow going through the tube. Uh, the water flowing through the tube. We put little uh, particles in the water so we can actually visualize microscopically. You can see the flow going through. And we turn up the light. And we were able to get up to five times faster flow just by turning up the light intensity. That's all. Wow. And then turn it back down. And it slows so in down. in
2: darkness, there's no effect? Yes and no. <laughs> uh, uh,
3: because the because infrared light is dark light. I mean, you don't it's not in the visible mm-hmm. wavelength range. So turning off the lights in the room removes the visible wavelengths, but since it's mostly beyond the visible, actually, some of it is, is infrared, but also ultraviolet light has an effect a, a, as well. And, and, uh, and so, um, and we mm-hmm. found, in fact, that ultraviolet light, it was really effective in, in speeding up the flow through the tube. So in the laboratory, we turn on the light, we get flow through a narrow tube, Why shouldn't the same happen inside your body? Uh, You turn up the light, or uh, the light that's being absorbed uh, may be actually driving those red blood cells through those narrow tubes, just as we saw in the laboratory. And we're now doing some experiments to test this idea. Does it matter, UVA, UVB, UVC? Well, we're testing that right now. Oh, cool. Well, I, I, I want yeah, to see your research.
2: I, I expose myself every morning for about 10 minutes because I live on Vancouver Island up near where you are in Seattle. There's not enough sun yeah. here, so every morning for 10 minutes, I get my ultraviolet radiation in the form of a sun lamp. Uh, I, I'm usually on a call with, uh, with one of the members of my team, and I'm sort of like naked standing in front of a light. But fortunately, it's not a video call, <laughs> so it's yep. all good. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm hopeful that that may be beneficial for this stuff, but I don't know. But I know for other things like vitamin D and, and sulfation of vitamin D, it, it's probably good. But I, yeah, it yeah. is a yeah. good practice? Yeah. Would you recommend it or not?
3: I I, I can't say. Uh, all I can say is that uh, it probably is. Uh, but uh, I, you know, I, well, we, we we haven't done trials on that. So, so, so by the way, I'm I, not I sure.
2: thank you for that answer. The average. Uh, a scientist when you say, "Well, I know you don't know, but if you had to bet, they're so hesitant. I, I don't really want to bet until I've done a double-blind study." And you're like, "Say, and you're willing to say probably is actually a really courageous thing." So, so thank you for that, I mean, because <laughs> well,
3: <laughs> uh, at the risk of uh, criticism from my colleagues, um, yeah, I mean, it's great to to have hypotheses, yeah. and uh, uh, you know, then you get somewhere. I, I, as
2: long I, as you I, qualify it, I think you're, you're being very scientific. I, I, had, I had a chance to ask Craig Venter. Like, given everything yeah. you know about the human genome and all this incredible research, like, what should I do today, based on your best possible guess? I said, or should we just have pizza and beer and figure it out? And he goes, let's talk about it over pizza and beer. And, and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna pull my hair out, because it's such a luminary, but that scientific news says, until I'm really sure, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna choose a direction. And what I wanna do is, I, I wanna live to 180 years old. I'm gonna pick a direction. Because if I don't pick a direction, I'm probably gonna go the wrong way. And I might pick the wrong direction, but at least I tried.
3: And yeah, and you might pick the right yeah. direction. 180, that's, that would be impressive. I, I'm working on it. Good luck. I, Hope you get there. Uh, do you do any work with the
2: piezoelectric effects of cell membranes by any chance? No. Um, why, why do you ask? I, I have a machine downstairs uh, that's made out of a, a, a cockpit from a fighter jet. And it takes you to 22,000 feet elevation, drops your sea level back to 22,000 in rapid succession, which pumps all of your cell membranes, and has a bizarre piezoelectric, like it generates electricity on the cell membrane. And it's, it's a really cool thing and it's a little known effect, but I just thought of anyone I've ever spoken to on Bulletproof Radio, that that might be an effect that you would come across. <laughs>
3: Um, How do you know it's the
2: membrane? Um, There's actually two studies. I'll send them to you afterwards, uh, talking about a a cell membrane piezoelectric effect about uh, little lipid uh, uh, lipid spheres on the surface of the cell membrane, that they themselves are piezoelectric, apart from like bone piezoelectricity and things like that. So I, I was blown away to see it, and you certainly feel an effect from it, but it might be a nitric oxide effect, not anything more, and there appears to be a stem cell effect, but it's also one of those things where you can't really say what it does, even if you think you know, because then you'd be selling drugs, so it's a machine that makes you feel good, right?
3: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, there are, there are electrical effects for sure, because, you know, um, if, if you have easy water sitting next to ordinary water, one is more dense than the other. That is, the easy water is denser than the bulk water. If you squeeze it, uh, put pressure on it, then the tendency is to go toward the more dense uh, of of the two. And so we found experimentally that if we did that, if we apply pressure, we get more easy water. And easy water is negatively charged, so it means you you apply force and you get charge out of that. So it's essentially a piezoelectric effect, and that's why... That's why I asked you uh, how sure you were that it was a membrane effect. Many scientists mm-hmm. attribute almost everything in the cell to oh, the, even membrane, though the membrane. Doesn't
2: really eff- it doesn't really exist when you look at what happens when you strip the membrane and the inside of the, st- the cell still works. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> so the membrane isn't what we think it is. I'm with you
3: there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that's true. The membrane is overrated. <laughs> yes.
2: uh, now, okay, let's assume that I have a couple thousand dollars. And I'm, I actually live on an organic farm. Uh, doing my best to to keep everything working in my body and I can do whatever I want to my water filtration system. I already have activated charcoal. It, I use a well that's not, not polluted. I run it through a UV filter and uh, various polishing things. It's absolutely neutral and from a pH perspective. Do I need to install a big bank of infrared LEDs in a, in a clear tube? Do I need to install electrodes like what do I do to like basically shower in easy water that drips out of the faucet like syrup every day like, like, like what should I do here
3: again I you know I'm not sure but I can certainly um, speculate yeah. or hypothesize sure. I think light is really important okay. um, I spend your two thousand um, uh, dollars putting light into it and if you ask me which wavelengths I'm not sure I, I, I would say that probably um, they w- we found that infrared light at roughly three thousand nanometer wavelength is very good for building easy water. Especially if you have a little bit of salt, if you have minerals okay. uh, in the Soften- water, which you probably yeah. do. Yeah, well, yeah, and you... Um, because what happens is that the easy water, the fourth phase water, builds around the minerals themselves. And, and so if you if you add light of the right wavelength, you can get more easy water. And I, I think that waters, at least the evidence so far, is that if you drink water that contains easy water, it's likely to be good for you because that's the kind of water that's inside your cells. Yeah. So you're basically refurbishing uh, water inside your cells. So I guess that that's probably what, what I would do. Uh, but again, I'm speculating. Uh, it, it's, I'm, it, thank I'm, you
2: for labeling it as speculation. I, I I totally understand its speculation, and everyone listening, if you go out and you buy this and it does the opposite of what you expected it to do, it could happen, right? This isn't done Yeah, it could happen,
3: yeah. But this is, you know, you you really put your finger on something that's terribly important. Water is so important for our health, it's central, but there's almost no funded research on on water. If you try to get money from the National Institutes of Health, you know, if you want to study a drug, it's fine, it's no problem, as you pointed out uh, earlier. But if you want to study water, the, this is something that they almost never heard of, yeah. um, and so there there are no funds available to do that. And um, with with your influence, perhaps you <laughs> you you could change that. It's really really important to study uh, uh, water.
2: I, I'm really intrigued. I, I do work with uh, the X Prize Foundation, the guys who did a ten million dollar uh, grant to basically turn on private space exploration. And, and it worked. Yeah. And there are a bunch more X-Prizes yeah. like that. So this makes me think that maybe we need to do uh, an X-Prize with, with HeroX uh, around funding some fundamental research. So let me keep my mind working on that because th- this does deserve a, a, a lot of attention. Uh, have you looked at uh, the O-16 the versus O-18 DDW, like
3: deuterium depleted water? Is that anything that, that's been in your research? No, we we haven't done it, but I, I I know that there are some scientists who are studying that. You probably know more about that okay, than that's I do. Okay, it, it seems to have a positive effect. I'm thinking yeah. about
2: getting something that makes DDW water, which is a, a sizable investment, but I want to lift 180. I just don't know if it's
0: know <laughs> worth it, right?
3: What about drinking the Hunza water? Do you know about the Hunza? I, uh, I know about the Hunza people, but I'm not sure about Hunza water. Henry Koanda, who was a Nobel laureate studying fluids, went to visit the Hunza to find out why they live to, not 180 as far as uh, I know, yeah. but certainly 110, 120, they have babies I'm, at age 90. I'm, I'm going to race
2: <laughs> Ray Kurzweil. That's my goal.
3: <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, so so he found he found out that uh, it's the water, that uh, it's full of minerals. It's actually thick with with minerals. And the tourists who go there drink the water. I, I'm told that they actually filter the water for them because those people won't drink that water That's that's kind of Thick with, with with minerals, so I'm not sure they get the full benefit of it. But I, I'm not sure if you know Patrick Flanagan, who yeah, he he studied that and he produced a, a oh, that, product, the, that, miracle uh, crystal uh, stuff, the little droplets you put yeah. in. Yeah, I used to use that. Yeah, it, uh, apparently mimics what the Hunza have 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 used, and um, again, that that might be another another uh, a good approach. I I must mention one more mm-hmm. since we're talking about health. And that is uh, juicing, probably
2: you do that too, yeah. I like to juice my uh, maple trees. I, I drink the sap that comes out before you concentrate it into syrup. that's basically pure, easy water, as far as I can tell.
3: Uh, yeah, it must have a lot of easy, uh, but I, I'm talking about this sort of more standard way of taking vegetables and, and maybe some fruits yeah. yeah or or kale. It doesn't taste great, but you kind of get used to it and begin to like it yeah. and you know <laughs> so w- what you're doing, what you're drinking is essentially sell water, mm-hmm. right because. It's the water that you squeeze out. Is the water that's inside the cells of the plants and and um, the the physicians I've spoken to you might call them alternative and complementary yeah, medicine. That's... Many of them use it, and they the, the patient comes in, and it doesn't matter what the problem is, but uh, in, including some of the ones you mentioned, fibromyalgia yeah. and uh, kind of vague vague symptoms, and it seems that uh, almost always drinking that stuff for a few months uh, is is of great help. And as I said, I think the reason it helps is that you're adding cell water to the, the water that may be deficient in, in your own cell, Wh- which reminds me of the famous book that you pro- probably know about, the one that's, uh, You're Not Sick, You're Thirsty. Oh, right, right. You know that book? Yeah. And and uh, uh, that also is uh, anecdotal evidence, but powerful anecdotal evidence by by this Iranian ph- physician who wh- became a political prisoner uh, because he was a supporter of the Shah. And when the Shah was deposed, uh, he was thrown in prison. So so he was a, a physician, and so he was the one who had to treat all the other political prisoners. And all he had available was water. And, and so finally he wrote the book uh, that described his experiences not only in prison treating patients, but when he emerged from prison and continued his studies. I found myself really, really impressed by the sincerity of of, of his book, which, by the way, his son, who I met by chance, told me sold more than 7 million copies. (laughs) Yeah, really popular. It's cheap. You can buy it on Amazon. It's very impressive. Uh, One chapter deals, for example, with diabetes, another with heart disease. And he, he tells stories about his patients who came in and he said just drink a lot of water, and they got better just I, by drinking a lot of water.
2: I, I had a, a weird experience. Back when I was living, it turns out, in a in a mold-damaged, water-damaged building. So I, I was getting daily yeah. exposure that was causing immune inflammation. I did a 24-hour urine challenge. You had to collect all your urine for 24 hours. I collected yeah. seven liters of urine.
3: Seven liters?
2: Yeah. Wow. Uh, okay. It, uh, granted, I yeah. was probably 280 pounds at the time. But. I wasn't trying to drink extra water. Partly, I was because, like, I knew if, if I drink more water, I'll be healthier. I was always thirsty, but it was like the water wouldn't stick in my body. Like, no matter how much I drank, I was always yeah. thirsty. Is yeah. this a, a water structuring issue, or is this like a, my kidneys are over toxic?
3: <laughs> what was going on? Do you have any ideas? Well, it could be a water structuring. Okay. It, yeah, I mean, so so the ability to hydrate may depend on the type of water and i bet it does and again we we have a a theory as to why this this might be you know the cells are negatively charged and um if you if you um exposed water that uh, has charge so-called dipolar water where you have plus at one end minus at the other uh it should be absorbed more quickly by this negatively charged cell because what happens is that you know you've got a blob of negative charge And then you have a a dipole sitting here with a plus and minus. If this is negative, the plus will orient closest and get pulled in. And and the fourth phase water is definitely charge separated. It's a dipole. It has huge amounts of negative at one end, positive at the other. So it should be sucked in by the cell uh, more quickly. Again, this needs testing. Uh, Of course. Hypothesis. We're in the land of theories now. Are you at all
2: concerned about these LED lights that make no infrared whatsoever, but have lots of the blue spectrum?
3: Yeah, I am because um, uh, I heard some uh, talk at one of the conferences about so-called light pollution. Yeah, and you know, in some in some cities, uh, it's light all night, and the blue light is is stimulatory, and and I think it's stimulatory because I I, I think the energy from the light. Uh, creates more of this uh, 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 separates charge, and the separated charge is, gives you gives you energy, so it keeps you energized just when you want to go to sleep. And uh, so I think this is problematic. Um, I, I switched uh, all of the
2: exterior lighting on my on my house, so I, I'm in the country. Like I've I've seen no yeah. lights from my house, and I switched them all from. Uh, whatever they were, halogen for the most part, to yeah. red LEDs that are sea turtle yeah. friendly and all. And the night I did that, the owls started hanging out right next to the house. Oh, before wow. Before they would not be anywhere wow. near. There's two or three species yeah. that, that are nearby. And it was profound what the effect on wildlife was, not to mention my own. I, I can walk outside and see the stars and things like that.
3: Fantastic. Yeah, this is, this is a growing issue, uh, You know, with, uh, along with electromagnetic pollution. It's <laughs> um, a ser- serious issue because... It's really not clear what what uh, cell phones and such, but it's sort of clear you know some people have done studies and the studies I have a colleague in Seattle who's been studying this most of his his career and and he says you know the the studies that are that are funded uh, by the cell phone companies ninety five percent of them report no problem <laughs> but The studies that are funded by uh, foundations or uh, other organizations, uh, not the cell phone companies, 95% of them report serious problems. So I actually thought I was the only person on the face of the earth who decided to own no cell phone, but I, I met another one yesterday. Um, and so apparently there were at least two of us without cell phones. <laughs> <laughs> Is this because of the effect
2: of EMFs on water or on cellular yeah. biology, mitochondrial activation? Like, like, what's your specific concern there?
3: Uh, well, the, the colleague of mine had studied DNA breaks <laughs> there that occur you go. from, uh, you know, and so it's not the kind of thing that you want to happen. Uh, we haven't yet had the wherewithal to study the, the effects of different wavelengths in um, uh, on On water, but you know um, since water absorbs many of these wavelengths, you know you put your put your water in the microwave oven and it heats up, and that 's because these wavelengths are absorbed by the water. but we don 't know what each of those wavelengths actually does to our 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 body um, and this needs to be studied it 's really important to 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 do this because well. You know, for for obvious cause, reasons, because life depends on it. <laughs> uh, yeah, because life depends on it. Uh, <laughs> it's terribly important. Uh, there's
2: one more question I want to ask you before we come up on the end of the show, and and that is well, two more questions, including the final question. But the other one is, I know that when you drop the temperature of water, it's easier for easy water to form. I do cryotherapy with liquid nitrogen, so I stand in air that's chilled to 260 degrees below zero. So the very outer centimeter or so of my skin gets a real strong signal about how cold it is it doesn't freeze but it drops the temperature pretty darn far am i doing something cellular with easy water do you think i know this is the land of speculation here um or is this more about uh signaling for uh, essentially more calories burned and brown fat activation and things like that
3: well the latter is certainly possible i couldn't comment but but i think what you're doing is um you're 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 generating a lot of infrared energy in the core of your body. All the metabolic reactions do that. And when you stand outside in the cold, then um, you have a gradient, uh, a huge gradient of temperature from the inside to the outside. So the infrared energy that's generated in your body goes through the body to the periphery and out toward the cold. It's passing through your tissues. And when Mm. infrared energy passes through your tissues, it builds easy water. And so... Yeah, so I think that might be what's going on.
2: Uh, That's cool. And, I've and never that, heard that, and that makes so much sense.
3: Well, <laughs> it's, it's interesting to have a conversation because uh, some of these, these issues uh, you know, stimulate both of us to thinking. Right. There's nothing like thinking.
2: <laughs> and, and my, my unusual path has led me to believe that there's quite often five or six different effects that stack on each other when you really feel something work. And you can hypothesize there's these ones and so much of Western science is around looking for single variables, but almost every problem that's ever been meaningful to me has been a multivariate problem, which makes them yeah. very hard to study. You know. It's really hard, yeah. yeah. yeah.
3: Th- that's the reason for some basic science, if you could... If you start at the fundamental level and figure out what's going on, then you can apply it to the body, and you'll know that at least that's perhaps one of the factors that's involved. Yeah,
2: it it might be why it works, but we still can measure that it works, so let's keep looking for all the reasons, right? And and that's what gets me up in the morning. It's so exciting. Uh, Speaking of getting up in the morning, I want to ask you the question I've asked every guest on the show. Who? And this is, if someone came to you tomorrow and said, based on everything you've experienced in your life, not just your science, but certainly including that, if I want to kick more ass at everything I do, like I want to be better at everything, what are the three most important pieces of advice you have for me? What would you say?
3: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think motivation is is one, but um, you know, uh, the question is how you develop motivation. People without motivation are really not going to get very far. Um curiosity, uh, and, uh, you know, audacity. Uh, uh, the, the, the world around is actually, tends to be pretty conservative. We feel comfortable with what we know. We If we're bombarded with something, as you said earlier, that we can't explain, we, we have a tendency to dismiss that uh, because if we can't explain it, it must not be true. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and this is a very serious issue, and I think it's, it afflicts many scientists who uh will reflexively dismiss ideas because oh if it were if it if it's a good idea, somebody would have discovered it before, so don't 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 bother us with with, with this idea right and that is really uh a, 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 a critical one it's critical it's not not just for science but uh for other realms and other disciplines too it's uh Having the audacity to go ahead and and follow your your belief system, uh, with with some reservation, you know you uh, have to listen and and hear the facts. But um, is one of the reasons uh, I feel really strongly about this. Is one of the reasons why we've created an organization called the Institute for Venture Science IVS. Uh, the website is ivsci.org. dot org. We haven't. We haven't seen during the past few decades uh, very many scientific revolutions or, or breakthroughs. A um, hundred years ago, there were many of them. You can go back and they are familiar, familiar names: uh, Einstein and Max Planck and you know, Pasteur, and there, there were, were so many that uh, Curie that, that occurred. And the question is, you know, at that time. There was very little money for science. Now there's a lot of money. We all complain that there's not enough, and it's true. <laughs> but we have a lot of money compared to then, and yet it's really hard for if you, if you try to put your finger on fundamental scientific breakthroughs, not technological. There have been lots of those, you know, iPhones and such, but fundamental scientific breakthroughs that are at the same level as the discovery of the periodic table or the splitting of the atom or the structure of DNA, which was I think sixty odd years ago uh-huh. you can 't find them it 's really hard um, uh, uh, revolutions not promised revolutions, but revolutions that have changed the world and I think one of the reasons uh, is is that it 's difficult for for scientists with with fresh ideas to gain traction and the reason is the one that we discussed that uh, oh, if that's true, people would have discovered it a hundred years ago. And so we created this institute to change that. And and the idea is that uh, um, it works on two principles. And one is that if you propose <coughs> that the Earth is round, and everybody around you knows that the Earth is flat, uh, if you put a proposal into a standard granting agency you'll be reviewed by the experts, naturally, the Mm -hmm. experts in the field. Those are the flat earth people. Your chances of getting money to pursue what you want are vanishingly small. Uh, And by some quirk, if you happen to get the money and you study and you gain, uh, obtain even more evidence that the earth is round, um, you'll, you'll be labeled as a crackpot because many people are threatened by that. All the flat earth people don't want you to be correct because Many of them are more interested in their uh, their careers than they are in finding the truth, shall we shall we say? Um, and 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 maintaining their career means they have to be right. And if you're right with round earth, they're wrong, and so they're no longer the kingpins in, in the field. That's very threatening to people. It's a human issue, and so we get a, around that by actually taking round earth ideas like that ideas that that um, we, not the experts, uh, people who can understand what you're talking about, but don't, don't have the skin in the game uh, to, to, to want to dismiss your idea. So we accept your idea, we fund you, and then we look for other groups around the world who have a similar vision that you have that the Earth may be round. And then next year, we fund them, and next year at the annual meeting of the Shape of the Earth Society, suddenly there are maybe 10 or 12 groups, Using each one using a different method, demonstrating that the Earth is round. And you can't ignore that anymore. And, and, and so this, we think, is the, is the key to breakthrough science, revolution, if you will, funding multiple groups, developing a critical mass. And we think that this is going to be able to restore um, revolutionary science the way it was 100 years ago.
2: Well, I uh, I am more than ever motivated to introduce you into the the Hero X Foundation and the, the X Prize people. W- what they managed to do is put a little prize purse on it. So instead of just writing grants, which is a possible thing, the team that wins wins a, a sizable purse, even if it's only half a million dollars. That's still a huge amount of money compared to the ten million they use for space flight. But when you have that that element of competition, uh, it it seems to move things forward in a in a really cool way.
3: Could be, could be interesting. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, anything you can do. Uh, the, the The world really needs uh, um, fresh, fresh thinking. There, there are many ideas. I, I come across. I'm familiar with many different scientific fields. People come to me because they they sense an open mind, and they'd like to tell me about yeah. what they're doing. Some of the stuff, frankly, I I think is flaky. Uh, <laughs> other happens. is is a. Uh, is uh, amazing. Um, I mean, truly amazing. Uh, there's a guy uh, who I met the past couple of years who's was actually able to cure cancer with his hands. Wow. Uh, his name is Bill Bankston, and uh, he's done experiments on, on mice with tumors. It's a mammary tumor. It's 100% fatal. And he puts his his hands around the mouse that has been injected with with the tumor and has already developed a, a large mass and he runs through in his mind a, a kind of a list of positive emotional experiences he's had in his life and he runs through again and again and again and his cure rate is 100% um, this is this is the kind of stuff people don't don't know about this and of course a lot of people will feel threatened by it because yeah. it's it you know, a, a multi-billion-dollar business, if you will, not only the pharmaceuticals, but all the researchers who are studying, uh, you know, chemotherapy and other kinds of of measures to combat cancer. So this is this is entirely different, and um, it's not easy for him to to get research money to to pursue this. So it's this just one example of of many out there, many really promising ideas that need to gain traction to see if they're Really, as worthwhile as some of them appear to be, it's going to change the world. It,
2: it absolutely will change the world, and and there are some people who appear to have pretty strange abilities. And and there's a reflex among the the skeptic community, which is actually a surprisingly small percentage of people, but a very vocal percentage of people. Yes, yes. Uh, But it, it's it's probably two to five percent of people where every everything, everything is glass half empty. But the, the real scientists out there. Um, who are actually doing real evidence-based medicine versus what is only double-blind study-based medicine, which isn't real at all uh, in terms of of, real evidence. There's many kinds of evidence. But when you look at something like that, any true scientist should go, that sounds hard to believe, but if it's true, it's one of the most important things ever. We need to see if it's true. Whereas we have this, this response, which is, you know, bullshit, that cannot be, therefore anyone who even talks about it is a con artist and a quack. And, and
3: pseudoscience
2: yeah and that kind of, of reflexive stuff it's just fundamentalism it, it's no different than ISIS mm. and it's yeah. really bad for the world and like I will not have that it is just not okay so oh, good for you let's good look at that you. stuff let's figure it out and some of it is totally self-deception that's great let's figure it out but if you don't apply science to figuring that out and you apply dogma to figuring it out you're a jerk and I'm totally happy to call <laughs> you that <laughs> <laughs> right, I'll, I'll get off my Fantastic. soapbox there, but you got me going.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 believe me. I hear you. Um, and uh, you know, if you're well connected and you you know some uh, people uh, of of means who want to return something to to the world, this is the Institute for Venture Science is a right. perfect place to do it. We've just launched, and um, and we're looking for, for donors who who want to see changes in, in the world in their own mm-hmm. lifetime have a front row seat where they they can see things happening Jerry this I, is
2: a good I, I think I know a group of extremely financially successful hundreds of millions to billion dollar kind of success uh, people who'd be really interested in your work and I will be doing some back channel introductions and things like that oh that's great thank you very much some of my coaching clients have been very successful uh, yeah and and so let me just drop a few little comments in the right places and maybe something great will happen if not I can make a few intros to people who can maybe just move the initiative forward. So this is important work. And thank you for doing it. And and thank you for your audacity. That's exactly the right word. I I really appreciate your work. And I'm grateful that you're on the show today.
3: Well, thank you for having me. It was really fun. (laughs) Well, I Appreciate it. Have
2: a beautiful day. You too. Take care. If you enjoyed today's show, and let's face it, how could you not enjoy the show? Uh, Jerry Pollock uh, he spent his whole life doing this amazing, amazing work. And when you read his, his books, they're technical, but you realize there's something happening that science did not know about. And he's just had the, the tenacity to dig in and he's discovered some fundamental things that I believe have a really good chance of changing the way we understand biology and changing the world. So if you enjoyed the show like that, I would love it if you supported the show. And there's something in line with what we talked about today, and it is the Zentech screen protector. This is something you slap on your computer, you slap it on your phone, you do it one time, and it blocks some of that blue light we talked about that comes without infrared, which lowers the amount of stress on the cell membranes in your eyes, and it lowers the, uh, it lowers the effect of blue light on the body because it filters out some of the blue light. This is a pretty cool thing, and it's a one-time thing you do. Just go to Bulletproof.com and search for Zen Tech, and you can pick one of these things up, and you'll probably feel the difference in your sleep. And if you don't, you can always send it back. Have a beautiful day. I'm so excited about this interview. I'm super charged by it. I'm going to go get some infrared lights and stick them all over my water supply. Have a great day.